So for the benefit of those who are not familiar with the forest tradition, before giving a Dhamma talk, um, we do this little chant. And it's a reminder for both the person speaking and the people listening that um, it's not just a kind of sit on the street corner chit-chat time. And so the idea is is, is that when we pay attention with 90% of our attention actually inward and 10% of the attention on sound, then we're in a relationship of dialogue with ourselves and with what we hear. And so when we're like that, then... If we hear something that resonates, our body can tell us and we can know by the kind of aha, you know, the way it opens and relaxes. I speak extemporaneously. It's very rare that I plan my talks. And so sometimes I'll say things and they don't resonate. Just leave it. You know, there's never, there's never an instance where um, I'm asking anybody to believe anything that I say. There might be times when what I say... Um, kind of structs like um, discord um, and that's an interesting place of investigation to find out whether the discord is because there's actually something there to investigate that's difficult or something there which is has to do with me you know what I've said and so that's a, a, a lovely opportunity to, um, to explore if there's an interest to do that um I wanted to talk tonight about gratitude. Today is the week before Thanksgiving. And, um, you know, we have sort of lost lost sight of the original Thanksgiving, which was, you know, when the settlers first came here, the winter was very harsh and they didn't have enough supplies to survive. The, um, the Thanksgiving was the possibility that there is going to be enough su- supplies that we're going to take them through the winter time. And in our modern world, when we've got so much complexity that we're navigating in terms of details and information and contact, sometimes we forget that, you know, we've got a roof over our head. You know, we've got enough clothes to wear. Every single one of us walked in the door by ourselves on our own two feet. You know, we're breathing without the use of respirators, you know. And I've got more food in the hermitage than I think I ever have. <laughs> it's just come this week. And there's flowers, you know. It's incredible rare that there's flowers and they're just so beautiful. So when we, we slow down a little bit and begin to just open up to the reality of what it is to be alive and what it is to have our basic needs met, what it is to have the ability to smile and to think and to know, to discern, to make choices. You know, we're opening up to the, the real beauty and extraordinariness of what it is to be alive. 
and see that in the small things that we can experience as well as in the big things that we can experience the the joy of somebody else's joy. You know, my next-door neighbors, Ed and Dorothy, they're both in their 80s. Ed is just, um, he was born two weeks before my father was. So he's just same age. And, you know, he's never in his life been sick. I mean, I think he had to take an aspirin once. And and so, you know, it's incredible health. And then something happened, and he had sciatic nerve pain, and it was just excruciating for him. So he was completely flattened. And this is somebody who, he's got a ranch, and he goes and works on the ranch and digs ditches and builds fences and fixes the tractor and gets on the roof and puts on the Christmas lights and, you know, somebody like that. So the first time in his life that he's been bedridden, you know, and in pain and can't walk around. And, you know, I was so, my heart was so full with him and the journey of what that would be for him as well as his wife, you know. When I came back, he was outside, and I was just so happy to see that he was up, you know, that he made it through. Because that kind of sickness, you know, to get sick for the first time when you're in your mid-80s is really hard, hard shock to the system. Real hard shock. Some of us, unfortunately, have been practicing for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) So pain and disability and weakness and mobility issues and all the rest of that you know are familiar to us but to start at the very beginning when you're in your mid-80s wow so I was so happy to see him up you know walking around just brought me a lot of joy so you know that sense of we are connected to each other and my heart is in the place of where different people are and when the people that I know are well it brings a gladness and the gladness is, is, is that you know I can celebrate with their gladness that I know that they're okay you know where the animals are okay you know when they've got enough to eat and they look well and I feel I feel content I feel joy I feel happy so the, the you know the, the gratitudes that we experience is a not only for ourself and our own sense of ease and well-being, but also for the way that we're connected to the greater web of life and how that works and how we see ourselves in that. But also when we look at, you know, what it is to be awake and what it is to be able to reflect, it's incredible. You know, we can have all kinds of stuff go through our minds and choose what we pay attention to and what we don't. We can bring forward a heart of kindness or a heart of generosity. We bring bring forward bad habits that don't serve us. It's a choice that we have. And 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 every time we choose to, to give up something that's familiar but no longer serves us any longer and move into that which might be unfamiliar or not as well known and serves our own ability to know what it is to be open and honest and true and authentic and not bound by our habits there's something extraordinary that happens you know every moment of mindfulness that way where we're letting go of something that no longer serves us is a moment of freedom.
It's so amazing. And most of the time when these happen, we don't even catch them. We don't even notice. We don't, they don't register because they happen a lot. And they're not usually huge, significant kind of seventh chakra blowout kind of experiences. You know, they're just subtle little simple choices that we make. And yet, it's a miracle, you know, to move into what allows our hearts to open and doesn't keep us bound by the habits that we have and the familiar things that that um, we're used to identifying ourselves with. I was listening to um, um, a presentation as a part of a, a, a conference that Jeremy Rifkin was talking at. Do you know, have you heard his name? Jeremy Rifkin is somebody who's done a lot of work with um, energy and politics and economics, and he's written, I don't know, 20 or 30 books, and he's an advisor to many heads of state around the world for energy policies, and he's very, very clear-thinking. And He was talking about the way in which we feel empathy, and, uh, you know, we can feel empathy with the people in our own family. We can feel empathy with our friends. You know, we can feel empathy with our clan. So, you know, I noticed in the Dharma punks, there's a lot of sense of empathy with anybody who's a punk. So you go from one punk group to another punk group, and sort of like, you know, the clan. The clans are meeting. So it could be people you've never met before, but you're part of the same group. It feels like there's an affinity. And then he said that there's this kind of strange thing, this imaginary kind of empathy where a nation state is just imagined. It doesn't actually have any any existence that's real. But from people who are who are from America or are born in America or have American passports, there's a kind of bondedness that can happen. He was talking about in in, in France, you know, French people kiss each other and <laughs> both cheeks <laughs> as a way of greeting each other. You know, there's this kind of thing that happens. But he said that, you know, when um, National Geographic did some DNA testing, and um, that basically what it has, um, what they have found is, is that all people have descended from two, one man and one woman. And um, and so, genetically, we are all family. We are all related. And when you understand that, not just as an intellectual thing, not as just as a conceptual thing, but when you understand that as a as an energy thing, as a heart thing, that we are actually all one family then our capacity to take care and our capacity to stay awake for things which are otherwise quite challenging and things that we wouldn't want to be present for becomes more possible. And that empathy, that ability to connect with another living being and to be present with what they're going through and to find a wise and compassionate response to what their experience is, even if it's painful, brings about the possibility that we can work through difficulties and we can work through challenges and we can stay in something that is not so easy in order to come out with a 
a way forward. And um, I think that's really important, not only because it's a good idea that it's important, because I think it's important for where we're at this planet right now. So, you know, we just had an election, and um, I, I was noticing that there were some posts that were being posted about, I survived Bush, you guys can survive Obama. And I don't know that, that that's actually helpful. <laughs> you know, I think what's needed is, is that we can take it to another level and actually find out what frightens you so much about Obama? What are your needs that need to be heard and met in order for you to feel like you want to be part of something moving forward rather than just dig your heels in and resist at every possible place? So when we when we change the conversation from just, you know, kind of neener, 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 you know, to what what, what is important for you here? And I think there's... Um, possibility that we can move forward in a way where we're going to need to in order to tackle some of the things as a as that kind of country that we're dealing with. Now, I just came back from a number of weeks of teaching in, um, at the Insight Dialogue Retreat in Sacramento and in L.A. and in, and in Santa Barbara. I was doing, I mean, at the day-long retreats, I was doing Insight Dialogue. And one of the things that I really love about Insight Dialogue is, is, is that it bridges the kind of place where we normally think of it, meditation as something that we do by ourselves. It's a solitary experience. And with Insight Dialogue, we pair up or we get into larger groups, and our partners are actually inside of our meditation. It's not like you are a group of people hanging out on a retreat together. It's like it's not possible to do this without another person, you know. You're actually in each other's space. And when I can wake up to the way in which who I take myself to be is conditioned by the many factors around me, including the people who I am near and close to, and my own sense of myself comes in part by the relationships that I have with the people around me. And that then brings about a sense of, of um, it's not just a sign of like a nice feeling. It's like the fabric of who I am is dependent on the, the many-fold conditions that, that I am connected to and support me to be who I am and where I am and what's going on with me. And so in that process of inquiry together, sometimes one can feel that another person's presence supports your own ability to be with something that you couldn't be with on your own. And it's so, it's so beautiful. It's so incredibly beautiful. And I experience that all the time when I go into the Garden of the Gods. It's like the presence and the connection that I feel in the rocks, with the rocks, supports me to be with things that sometimes I can't be with on my own in another context. It's like it, it, it potentizes, it magnifies, it, 
it 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 allows for an ability to be with what's going on in a different way. Hmm. Well, that's all that comes to me for right now. Maybe we can stop and maybe form into a circle and see what emerges as conversation for everybody.